0: Good morning. Good to see all of you. So good to be here. And I just, uh, before I start with the message, I just want to say um, we are planning on meeting uh, Sundays, Wednesdays um, for the foreseeable future. Um, Even with the Corona, I don't know what's going to happen next week. Um, And so we'll keep you posted. But Uh, I just want to encourage you and just maybe pray before I get started, because I think um, everybody needs to take the precautions that they need to take. We're not telling you to, um, trying to control your actions. If you've got to keep yourself safe, your family safe, that's understandable. But I I think the thing that scares me more than another virus is fear. (laughs) Fear does not look good on people. Um, and so I just want to pray peace over us because we serve a God who is the Prince of Peace. And he has weathered many more storms than this. And we, will, um, we are victorious in him, right? So I just want to pray over us. And um, if you do feel that fear kind of rising in you, sometimes um, it might be good to just shut off the news for a while, for one thing. Um, stay informed, but sometimes... I think what we feed our minds doesn't help keep us at peace. So I just want to pray. Um, I know what the enemy tries to do in situations like this. Um, He is the author of sickness and disease, and he is also the author of making sure that we stay disconnected. And so we just want to stay as connected as we possibly can in this season. And so, Father God, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for your provision. I thank you that you are the God of peace. God, and I just pray over every family, every um, extended family member represented in this body right now that your peace would rule and reign in our hearts, God, that we... Would use this, even though the enemy wants to use it for destruction, that we would be able to redeem it and use it to show people your peace, to show people your love, to show people your salvation and your power? Would we be people that represent your heart and your kingdom well in this season? Would we be people that wouldn't succumb to fear and insecurity and isolation, but would we be people who offer ourselves, pour ourselves out for you because you are the God of love Um, and you are the God of healing, so I pray health and healing and protection over every family in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks for letting me do that. Uh, Today, I get to continue our series on true community that Pastor Justin started last week. We are so excited about this. Um, I kind of chuckled to myself yesterday thinking about this. It's a little ironic that we Started a series on being more connected as a community, and we're getting reports that we need to separate more as a community. Don't get on planes, don't meet in public places, don't go to each other's houses, don't shake hands, and I'm just like, true community, what are we gonna do? Um, <laughs> uh, greet each other with a holy kiss. I, I mean, what can you do? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You just have to laugh sometimes. Keep joy alive. Uh, So we are in this series on true community, and today I want to talk about the cornerstones of community with us. And we're going to do that by looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, a picture of what the church looked like when it started in Jerusalem. And I love this passage. I always have. So we'll just jump right in and read this and then get into it. It says, Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another in fellowship. They shared communion. They came together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily, they met together in the temple courts in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. So cool. This right here is why I love the church. This is why I believe that the church is the answer. Jesus is the answer, but we are the church, right? We are hope, we are love, and just to give you a little bit of background, the book of Acts starts with with some pretty monumental and amazing um, things. It starts with Jesus... um, After his resurrection, he appeared to people, he appeared to many people, he appeared to his disciples, and the book of Acts starts with him, actually, his ascension, it's called ascending back into heaven, and before he leaves, he encourages his disciples and says, you all wait together for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And then, uh, the the Acts chapter 2 starts with the Holy Spirit being poured out at the Feast of Pentecost. In this room where the disciples are gathered and praying together and just waiting on God. And so the Holy Spirit falls and it just lights this fire. Just think about this for a second. You have a a group of disciples who have just watched Jesus leave and he said, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to come and it's going to accomplish everything that I promised, and you're going to start the church. And so they're just kind of nervously, but hopefully just waiting in anticipation. The Holy Spirit comes, and you have this group of people who know nothing else but to stay together and pray together. (laughs) People are like, what's the vision? What's the plan? Apostles, we're going to stay together. We're going to pray together until something happens. Well, what's the something? It's the Holy Spirit. What's that going to look like? You ever get all these questions that you just don't know the answers to? People are just demanding them. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to happen because Jesus said it. So they're praying. They're being faithful. The Holy Spirit gets poured out. People mock it. People don't understand it. But under the power and the fire of this fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit, Peter gets up, starts preaching right? It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is your way to life. Jesus is your way out of your life of sin. Jesus is your way to hope. And he preaches, and it says that after he preached, 3,000 people were baptized and brought to the church. One day. That's some pretty monumental stuff. Now, me personally, we all want like A huge, like, salvation revival, and we want our church to be, like, ten times bigger than it is. Not just because we want a big church, but we want people to get saved, right? But I can tell you one thing. If 3,000 people flooded in here saying, we want Jesus, help us, we'd be freaking out, totally. We'd be sitting around Justin's office going, what are we going to do? We don't even have a system for this. How are we going to disciple all these people? And you know the apostles are thinking the same thing. What are we going to do with all these people? They're here. They're hungry. They want Jesus. And then it gives us the description of what the church is to become. What did they start to do? They started to meet together in the temple courts. Break bread together. Share meals together. Encourage each other. Not only did they go to church They went to each other's houses, they ate meals, they did communion again, they prayed together. This is the the recipe for growth. This is the recipe for maturity. This is the recipe that got people introduced to Jesus and then got them thriving in Jesus. And you know, a lot of people ask us as leaders of this church, like, what's the vision? What's the vision of the church? What's the next big thing? That we're gonna do. I'm gonna tell you, the big thing that we're gonna do is do church just like this. (laughs) Healthy Christianity is the next big thing, if you wanna know. And so, based off of this passage in Acts, I love that it just gives us this breakdown of everything that's going that is making the church successful, that is giving the church its influence and its power and the presence of God, that is filling people with awe and wonder right? The power of God being poured out. What are they doing? So today I want to talk through just some of the cornerstones of community that I'm going to call them. See, because community, when we do it right, it encourages the growth. It sustains the encounter with the power and the presence of God. And that's the key, isn't it? I've known so many people in my life, friends, family, who had monumental, amazing encounters with God at some point in their life, whether it was their salvation, whether it was a major healing, whether it was a major breakthrough with family or with addiction, that are not walking in close relationship with Jesus today. And you say, well, how? If it was so monumental, how could that wear off? Right? And I say it wears off because we don't follow the practice of sustaining it. It doesn't matter how big the event is. If I don't continually stay in the atmosphere of it, if I don't continually remind myself of it and walk in the truth of it, it's not going to stay. It's why there's nerds like me and Steve who we go on vacation to Disneyland, but half the fun of going to Disneyland is anticipating the next trip to Disneyland. So, we watch YouTube channels based off of how to have more fun in Disneyland the next time you go. We gotta keep ourselves excited. We gotta keep ourselves encouraged. Sorry if that's a lame example. Jesus is better than Disneyland. But what are the cornerstones of community? Number one, the apostles' teaching, the study of the word. The study of the Word of God, the preaching of the Word. Preaching is such a weird and wonderful thing. We come together at minimum once every seven days and sit and listen to somebody such as myself preach the Word of God. Why do we do it? It's not just that the Word gets preached, but it's through the hearing of that Word, which is living and active. Right, It builds our faith and it creates a hunger in the community for truth, for wisdom, for greater levels of understanding. It wasn't just that the apostles were teaching it, it's that the people got hungry for it and they wanted more and it was causing them to grow and it was causing their faith to rise. So it's a cornerstone of what Christian community looks like. There was fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship in this passage is Koinonia. I chuckle a little bit because when I was growing up as a young Christian in the way back in the 90s <laughs> um, <laughs> um Koinonia was thrown around like every Sunday. Koinonia, Koin O'Neal, Koinonia, community, community. I actually, my uncle has a houseboat and I think it's called the Koinonia. Um, which is great, awesome. But it's more than just the act of coming together. You know, I, I, actually, like Mackenzie said, the Greek language is so descriptive that we don't really have a way to describe it adequately in our English language. But it's more than just coming together. It's actually the act of being together as one. It's the joining of life. It's, it's a partnership that happens when we are one in Christ. That's why we call each others. Paul said, call yourselves, you are brothers and sisters. And that's not just a cute religious way of saying, I acknowledge that you are a Christian just like me, brother. It is, it's a, it is a, an acknowledgement that we're family. That you might not be a part of my immediate biological family, but we're family. We are doing this thing together, this thing called life together. It's being baptized into Jesus and because of that being joined into one another's lives as well. So they had fellowship. They had the word. They had communion. The breaking of bread together as a constant reminder that we are one with Jesus Christ and we're one in Jesus Christ. It's the spiritual reality that Paul talks about in Galatians 2.20 where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So communion becomes this practice that the fellowship of the believers practice, not only at church on Sundays, but they're doing it in their homes together because they're constantly reminding themselves, it is the power of Jesus in me. So communion becomes this thing that brings us back to this supernatural connection to the life of Jesus we now have through his sacrifice. And then it says they devoted themselves to prayers. Prayer was an integral part of what was going on in the church. And I'm not just talking about, there are, there's our personal prayer time. In our secret place with us and God. And then there's the corporate prayer that the church was known for. Prayer that's described here. It's, it's prayer gatherings. So in case you are wondering why we put such an emphasis um, the last year and a half on our pursuit nights. Yeah. It's because we believe it is one of the cornerstones of Community that the church is called it's we are we have a responsibility to come together as the body in unity and pray together and work together for focused times of unified prayer and worship is a foundational responsibility of the church and we do it we preach the word we gather in fellowship we take communion we pray together because we know that when we build the church the way that God wants to build the church, God will do what he wants to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. So my wife and I watched this movie a few weeks ago called The Aeronauts. It's on Amazon Prime if you have that. But um, it's, it's about this hot air balloon pilot and a scientist in the 1860s who attempt to fly higher than anyone has before them because the scientist wants to study weather patterns. And so I was talking to my wife Alicia about this message, and she just came up with this beautiful word picture um, when it comes to the hot air balloon and how it works, and just thinking about that movie. But the Holy Spirit's the flame that started the church. It was a fire that came and rested on them, and it They sustained it. And as that fire was sustained, the Holy Spirit is that flame that creates the lift. It lifts us from our normal human perspective and understanding, and the Holy Spirit is constantly inviting us to understand the kingdom, to understand the heart of God, to understand what Jesus is doing. He's constantly, the fire is there so that we can lift ourselves out of our natural and get to what is natural to God, but supernatural to us. To gain a more godly perspective. If we want to stay attached to where the Spirit of God is going, these foundational practices are like the ropes that keep us tethered to where God is and where He wants to go. Isn't that cool? My wife's awesome. And it's important also to understand as we talk about community that all of these elements are not happening just individually. They're happening in the context of community together. Like, I can preach to myself, but it's more fun doing it with all of you here. (laughs) When I first started learning how to preach, my youth pastor made me do it to myself in the mirror in the women's bathroom. (laughs) She was like, you're going to learn to do this and you're going to learn to stare at yourself while you're doing it. So I... Remember my first couple messages, I just stood in front of a big mirror. Hello, how are you today? You know, it's just, it doesn't work as well. All of these things are happening in the midst of fellowship, of community together, because God is all about relationship. He's all about the relationship that we have with him, the connection we have with him. But as this connection vertically gets better between you and Jesus... It should naturally get better between you and everybody else. Because God's all about people, and he always has been, and he always will be. The church is people. It's not a place. It's not a destination. It's not a practice. It's people coming together and going through these cornerstones, practicing these fundamental truths of the faith. And that that connection is happening continually, if you'll notice. It says daily, daily. They were meeting together in temple courts and in one another's homes every day. It shows how this was important. Now, before you freak out, we're not going to ask you to do small groups every day of the week, okay? That's not where we're going here. But there was a daily connection to other brothers and sisters, and there was daily effort to connect to God. And notice this. The church began with both. Fellowship in the temple, in corporate gatherings, and fellowship in the home. And I say that because people get into these like biblical arguments and theological arguments all the time on like what's best corporate gatherings or should we just abandon corporate gatherings and just do home church? I've heard people argue for both, you know. People are like, ah, home church thing that never works the way people want it to. And some people are like, uh, oh, home church is the only way to go because that's how they did it in Acts. Actually, in Acts, they did both. Right. I'm just telling you, that's, what, that's how I read it, right? Um, and you can have horrible corporate gatherings or horrible home groups. It really depends on the quality, not the quantity of people that are in the room, um, There's a need for both in our life because it's in the corporate gathering where we preach the word, where we praise in unity as a body together, where we pray corporately together as a body. And in the home setting, we need that too because that's where at greater levels we build relationship with one another and there's conversation and there's intimacy that can be be built between people like it can't be built here in the corporate, but we need both. And one may feel more comfortable to you than the other maybe because of your personality type, but that doesn't mean you get to neglect the one for the other, right? None of us can, that is, if your goal is to grow in maturity and grace and love for people. You can't neglect one for the other just because I say and I prefer this over that. And it surprises a lot of people because I do this kind of for a living now, um, speaking in front of people, they just think, um, man, you must be just around people all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm around people all the time, but I personally value my alone time a lot. I, I, there are people who thrive and function off of being around people 24 hours a day, right? And when I'm talking about people, I'm not talking about my family. Like, they're with me 24-7 because they're my family, but it's like crowds. Like, some people just need a party all the time. What's the next thing I can go do? I value my alone time because it's where I I can process. It's where I can think. It's where I like to read. It's where I like to pray. Like, it fuels me. But I also appreciate the church because the church has also taught me the value of people. And I, I, I really do genuinely love what I would call my tribe, right? People here. And my family, but also friends that I love to be around, I love to have fun with, I love to talk about Jesus with, I love to talk about life with. I value people, and that's an area that re, uh, rejuvenates me as well. So, I want to ask this question, who is your tribe? And I know that most of us instinctively will say, well, it's my family, that's my tribe. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's good. Your family is definitely the most important part of your tribe, but I'm talking about your tribe. Because there's people in my life that I value, like my family, because they are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I they have a perspective, and they have a wisdom, and they have an encouragement that they can give me differently than my family does. Think about it this way, because we think of our, you know, we're the tribe of generational hope, and... There's the tribe of just Christianity globally, but even think about, you know, it was the the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, but the nation of Israel was comprised of 12 different tribes, all based on, yes, family unit, but based on responsibility, based on what they were called to do in the midst of Israel. And so it is important that you not only consider your corporate people your tribe or Christians your tribe, but who is the tribe that you walk with daily in your life? Who are those people that you can call up anytime you need to for wisdom or advice? And yes, if your family, if your biological family are Christian and they love Jesus just like you By all means, go to them. But there are also those other people that you want to have conversations with that you necessarily wouldn't have with your family. We all need a tribe. We all need a community of people that we can go to. Even a church this size, it's not a massive church, but you are not going to get what you need for growth and for health and for good discipleship just by coming here on a Sunday morning. We need a tribe. Because, you know, we we say, well, it's the church's responsibility to meet needs. Yeah, but see, I've learned in my life that when something becomes everyone's responsibility, it's really no one's responsibility. People are always fascinated, like, how in a church this size could people fall through the cracks? How come nobody talked to them about that need? How come nobody knows what's going on over there? Because... We think somebody's doing it, but really nobody's doing it. you got to have those people that you intentionally are connected with. And God wants to open up your life to a point where you are intentionally connecting with other people that he is saying need to be connected to your tribe. Acts 2.44 says, All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Every member of the body supports and supplies life to the other members of the body, even in a physical sense. Like, Once a part of your body gets disconnected from the rest of it, it ceases to live. It's disconnected from the life source. And Jesus is the source of life, but he gives us the responsibility as his body on the earth to keep the other members connected and fueled with life. He gives us the responsibility to keep the flow from one member to the other, right? And the result of that commitment to each other is what we're calling true community. And the connection is described like this the result of this commitment. These are are the benefits that these are the blessings that happen. It says there was gladness and sincerity of heart. They were continually praising God. And I love the word praise because there's praise, there's like worship, and then there's praise. Yeah. And there, the, the, the attitude is different. Like there's times where I'm in worship to God, and it's like a solemn experience sometimes, and you're just pouring out worth on who Jesus is, on who God is, and you're worshiping him because he's holy, holy, holy. And then there's those times of praise, like that first song we sang today. Actually, a lot of the songs, I just I was like in it. But when you're, you're you know, like... You called my name and I ran out of that grave. That's a praise song. That is people celebrating victory in Jesus. So the benefit of true community is people are full of gladness. They're sincere in their heart. They're continually praising God. There's celebration going on all the time because they're just full of the joy of the Holy Spirit. And they're enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord is adding to their tribe daily. Because people on the outside are looking in on what's going on in life and Jesus and going, i got to get me some of that. So I want to take a few minutes today, just talk through some of the benefits of consistent community in our life with Jesus, okay? Uh, Because I think this is super important. Number one, and I know this isn't all of them, but I only got so much time, you know? There's an increase in gladness. Thank you, Jesus. It says they were together, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And I love uh, what King Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes. He's got some nuggets of wisdom here that I think it would do good for the church to remember sometimes. He says, so I commend the enjoyment of life What's he saying? I recommend that you enjoy life. (laughs) Because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. And I love this next line. Then joy will accompany them. In their toil, all the days of their life, God has given them under the sun. All right. Super encouraging. right? Right? But super real at the same time. What's he saying? Hey, listen, life is hard. There are serious things that happen in life, and there's a lot of hard work that God gives us to do in this life, and so I seriously recommend that you find ways to enjoy it at the same time. I think people. there are a lot of people that suffer, and they would call themselves depressed people. And it's not necessarily because their life is so much worse than everybody else's life. It's just that they haven't learned to balance enjoyment with the seriousness of life. There's a tension that you constantly have to ride in life. And that is, I am going to choose to take seasons to enjoy this life that I'm living. Because it is hard. And it does get serious. But can I just say in the most loving way possible, some of y'all need to learn how to balance the seriousness with the joy. I think think joy is a better witness than seriousness. Now, there are times to get super serious. I get that. And I am a pretty serious person. Just talk to my wife. Like... Sometimes she has to tell me, lighten up. And so I'm just telling you, sometimes we just got to learn how to lighten up. We got to lighten up with our politics. We got to lighten up with our fear. Because if I'm a true believer in Jesus, and I'm the one preaching the good news of the gospel, that Jesus won, and so do we, why am I carrying my life that way? Oh, man. It's getting super serious. I don't know. And, and we walk around like we actually don't believe that God's in control, even though that's what we preach to people. Who's in control of this show? It's not me. Thank God. And so I'm taking the wisdom from Solomon and that is I am going to enjoy life. I'm going to fill my life with joy. I'm going to fill my life with people that know how to enjoy life with me. And yeah, there's going to be tears and there's going to be serious moments and there's going to be hard moments. But at the same time, joy is going to accompany my life. Amen. There is an increase in generosity in true community. Acts 2.45 says it was out of generosity that they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Woo! And some people look at this and are like, Communism, yeah, the church supports it. No, I'm not talking, it's a totally different spirit. Number one, because this isn't atheist. This isn't life without God. This is life completely immersed in God, number one. So don't throw that argument at me. And number two, it's voluntary. (laughs) This is out of joy and gladness and the, the love of Jesus who has been so generous to us, there is a want to bless other people. It's not church people walking down the aisle going, how much, how much, how much, come on. We got to get this piece of property. We got to get this for this person. I know you got more than that, right? It is not out of compulsion. It is a joy and it is a love to give because that's a natural byproduct of celebrating and enjoying the presence of God and the presence of each other. Increase in generosity. And can I tell you, generosity is contagious. It's like the pay it forward thing, it's like somebody. Buys your drink for you, who doesn't even know you, in the line at Starbucks, and then that's—it's like what you want to do for the person behind you. Well, oh, I didn't spend six fifty on my drink today. I'll spend six fifty on the person behind me. I don't know him either, but that's great. I don't even drink Starbucks, so I'm just throwing numbers out. I know y'all spend a lot on Starbucks, so. Generosity is contagious. When someone blesses us, we want to turn around and bless someone else. And what I love about community is, here's the thing, our needs won't be known if we're not willing to be in a community where we can express those needs. I think in the church we have this unspoken like thing where people should just know what my needs are right, just because we all are connected to the same spirit, so if there's a need, this is, oh, yes, yeah, right, the prophetic people, like, feel led, and they, God tells them, but there's people who just need to say what their need is, yeah. and allow the body to be generous, but that's where we got to rise in our humility and lay down our pride, and like Mackenzie said, not act like we got it all together all the time. Because we think that's what we need to do. But when there is a need and when we need support, who's our tribe that we're able to share that with? That's yeah. Because that's how generosity gets shared. So there's an increase in generosity, there's an increase in gladness, and there's an increase in grace. Come on. It says they were praising God together and enjoying the favor of all the people. Imagine that. Enjoying each other's company? No way. This is the church? It seriously is. It, sorry. I just feel a little chippy today. Probably because we stocked up on toilet paper. I don't know. We didn't. I was, I was responsible. I grabbed, I grabbed nine rolls. And I carried them through Fred Meyer proudly. And I was like, it's one, people. We'll be good. I got nine more rolls. I feel happy. Sorry. Bringing it back. An increase in grace. Enjoying the favor of all the people. Um, Favor, the word there is charis and it's the word for grace. Because when... Jesus is alive in your heart and Jesus is alive in your community and in your tribe. Grace is the natural extension because we get grace from God. We can extend the word for grace. There is unmerited favor. You can extend favor towards somebody even though they don't deserve it. Because we don't deserve it from God either, but he gives it. It is unmerited. And when we're talking about our tribe, I think there's the healthy tribe and then there's the toxic tribalism that our our world likes to push. And that is, if people don't think like you, if people don't believe like you, if people have a different experience than you, a different upbringing than you, you, if they're a different ethnicity than you, um, then it's easier just to keep yourself separated. And I understand that some of that's just not out of, it's not that we don't, love people, but we just naturally settle into what's comfortable for us. But grace takes it the next level, right? There's what's common for humans to do, and then there's what's exceptional for humans to do. And, the, and Jesus always calls us to be exceptional, You be the exception to the rule. You extend grace when nobody else will extend grace. You make a heart connection when nobody else will even invite that person into their home. It's why the Pharisees always got so mad at Jesus. Why are you eating with these people? Why are you associating with these people? And he said, because I'm here to heal the sick. I'm here to extend grace. I'm not here... To maintain a status quo or a, a social norm or a checklist that you all think is so important. I'm here to get people healed up and get people thinking right and get people walking in the truth, but they're never gonna walk in the truth if you won't even let them walk into your living room. Oh, sorry. Woo! Grace is unmerited favor. We can give it because God gives it to us every day. Community, this is what I want to say about this. Community puts the human element back into the conversation. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of conversation that happens in our world today that has no face-to-face connection. It's just conversation, conversations. It's tweets. It's Facebook posts. It's Instagram. It's community Facebook pages. Nothing against them. But it's like we just have these artificial, superficial conversations with each other over the airwaves. And there's no human heart-to-heart connection in it. And that is dangerous because it's not bringing people closer together. It's actually separating people more and more. we got to bring the human element back. Following Jesus is not confined to arguing issues. Did did that make sense? Because, right, we are people who stand for truth. Jesus said, I came to testify to the truth. But he also knew how to do that in the context of a heart connection with the people he was talking to. And some of us just forego the actual human relational element because we just make ourselves feel good because we're saying truth statements. But even Pastor Justin said last week... Truth given to somebody in the wrong spirit is still wrong. Jesus reprimanded his disciples when they said, Hey, on this city, do you think we should call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? And he looked at them and said, You do not understand the spirit that you are of. Yeah. Yeah. That's not how we do this. It's about loving people, making a heart connection with people, and leading them to their Savior, which is Jesus. Yes. Amen. Worship team, you can come on up. Community promotes empathy and forgiveness. Community promotes understanding where people are and where Jesus wants them to be. It gets us to a place where we seek to understand people more than we want to be right in front of people. It's easy to extend grace when you're having a face-to-face conversation with someone. Cool. Ooh. Um, here's my thing. My aim isn't just to get people to connect with my mind. I want people to connect with my heart. And I want people to, know that my, to see that my heart's connected with Jesus. That's the main thing. And so I guess my prayer for us as a body, as we navigate through this true community together, as we focus on those cornerstones of community together, as we get in our tribes and we have real conversations, is that we would be known as a place that is full of the joy and the love of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the best testimony. I love what 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says. It says, this is Paul talking to the church, and he says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. So I'm just praying in this house in our communities, in our families, in our relationships, that there would be such an increase of this mutual love and affection of brothers and sisters in this body to become life-giving, faith-building, that it will become an ingrained part of our culture. So I want to encourage you today that as we embark on this journey together, not only in our preaching, but in, in practice It's why um, starting in April, we're just going to do once a month small group gatherings together because we want to start to build a habit again of what it looks like to be in community together outside of this place. And I know some of you are already doing it, and I... So grateful for those of you that have already signed up to lead groups, but the reason we're doing it isn't just to be able to check the box off the list and say, oh, cool, we got small groups started again. I feel good about my job. It's because we want it to be a part of our culture and anything. Maybe there are some of you here that never really bought into the small group thing, and it isn't just a small group to have a small group. And it's always awkward to start something that you're not really used to doing. You know, like even with people that you love, like sometimes if I'm being honest, like I have an easier time having prayer time with my kids than I do with my wife. Is that because I feel less connected to my wife? It's no, because there are periods where we just don't build it into the habit of our relationship enough. So for us to, like lay in bed or sit on the couch and pray together, it feels kind of awkward just because we're not used to doing it. But as we do it more, it just becomes natural. So I'm asking all of us, wherever you're at in that process of meeting together with other people, even if it feels awkward, could we push past the awkwardness and just say, this is going to be good for me and it's going to be good for the church and it's going to be good for people that need to know Jesus. Amen? So Jesus, would you just increase the love? Would you increase the the level of grace in in the midst of our tribe at Generational Hope um, to be able to enjoy the favor of one another's company, to be able to encourage one another, to be able to stand with one another, to be able to meet the needs of one another. Let this be a place that is so abundant with your presence and your uh, gifts and your provision that people would look on us and say, I want to be a part of that community. Amen. And I want to encourage some of you today that feel like you don't have what it takes, that you don't have anything to offer. I just want to tell you there is fruit in your life that other people can eat from and it will help them along their journey. So don't disqualify yourself before you even get started. What happened with these 3,000 people that got saved one day and were in community the next day? They just began the journey. There wasn't all this conversation about, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm used to this yet. I got to feel my way around this. They got into it because they knew it's where Jesus was. Jesus is with you. He is for you. He has grace for you. And I just want to say, if there's anyone here this morning that has never experienced this kind of love before, I just want to tell you today's your day. If you've never invited Jesus into your heart. Today's your day. Today's your day. And I just want to say to you, welcome home. Say goodbye to the orphan spirit thing. That thing that just wants to keep you rejected and keep you alone and say, nobody is ever going to relate to me. They've never been able to before. In this place, it is the exception to the rule. We. We will love you. Jesus loves you. He is for you. He's got bigger plans for you than you ever thought possible for yourself. It starts with Him. He loves you. Amen. Would you stand with us? If you feel just the need to give your heart to Jesus today, all you have to do is in your heart with this confession of faith, say, Jesus, thank you that you gave your life so that I could have life. Thank you that you have forgiven me of my past. I'm ready for you to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm ready to let you lead my life from now on. Amen? Amen? So if you gave that prayer, could you just raise your hand a little bit? If you just said that in your heart. I just want to make sure that our team um, sees you so they can give you a little gift that's going to help you start your journey with Jesus and just encourage you and congratulate you on the best decision you ever made. Amen. So, sound good? This is church. This is what it's supposed to be. Father, would you fill us with your joy? Would you, uh, as we continue to do what you've called us to do, would your power and your presence be so evident and so real that this becomes natural to us, God? We want to be your body on the earth. We want to be connected to your life, and we want to connect that life to other people. So I pray for grace, grace, grace to do what we're called to do as a church and called to do in this community. Amen? All right, let's just sing one more time and celebrate and praise who Jesus is before we leave today. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven.